Good morning. We've had a great song service this morning. It's good to see everyone out. This morning we're going to do a little study on John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, kind of continuing a, kind of a makeshift series that I've kind of just come upon, just misused, misused verses that we see in the world today, in the religious world. As we look at John chapter 14 and verse 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So today I want to examine this verse because this is a very popular verse in the religious world today. If you read this in isolation, out of context, just like we always say, if you read it and you pull it out of context, you're going to find what seems to be Jesus making a promise to us that if we're willing to pray in his name and we have enough faith in that prayer, that he is going to give us what we ask for, that he's going to provide us with what we pray for. For example, many people will take this verse and think, if I pray in his name, I'll be able to get that dream job that I've always wanted. If I have enough faith and I pray in his name, I'll get that job. Or maybe we're sick and we have something wrong with us or someone we know and we, we think, if I pray in his name and I pray hard enough and I pray enough that they'll be healed or I'll be healed. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's, maybe it's friends. Maybe it's uh, reconciliation with family. Whatever that may be, if I ask it in his name, he'll provide that for me. So again, when we read that in isolation, I, I kind of put this picture up here because this is how we take this verse to mean. If I pray in his name and, and I do, and I have enough faith, he's become this genie in a lamp that he's going to provide, provide me with whatever desire I have. If I say in Jesus' name, that becomes this magical saying that's going to grant me any desire that I might have. Now, I want us to understand, and I want us to look at this in a very serious way, because this is a very dangerous verse, if it's taken out of context. How many people have been taught that verse? How many people have read that verse and pulled it out of context and see it as, I'm going to get what I want, only to find out that that doesn't happen? Maybe the healing doesn't come. Maybe the job, I don't land it. Maybe I don't get the money. Well, Jesus promised that to me. He made me a promise, and now he's not fulfilling that promise. You see where we're going with that? How many people have lost their faith because of the misinterpretation of that verse? It's very dangerous to take that out of context. So does this really promise us that we're going to get anything we ask for? And that's what we want to look at this morning. Now, before we even get to the context, I think we can look at two examples and find out that what Jesus is saying here is not what the world says he is saying. Let's look at Paul. Let's think about Paul for just a minute. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7, he says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given, to, given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. So what Paul says is to keep me from getting big-headed, 
I have this thorn in the flesh. And we don't know what that thorn in the flesh. It doesn't really matter. What we know is that it caused him problems and, it, and he, did not, he wasn't comfortable with it. And we see in verse 8, he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this that it should leave me. So three times it says Paul pleaded with God that this would be taken away from him. Do you want to know what the answer was? In verse 9 it says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient to you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. He's saying you're going to have that thorn in the flesh because people will see my power in your weakness. Did Paul get what he asked for? No. Now, I'm going to say, I'm going to go off on a limb, and I'm going to say there's not many more people that we can read of that are more faithful than Paul. He didn't get what he asked for. Did Jesus break a promise? Let's take it a step further. What about Jesus himself? Jesus, as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing what he's about to go through, knowing he's about to suffer, prays. And in verse 39 of Matthew chapter 26, it says, And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Two more times, he made that same request of God. What happened with Jesus? Did he get what he asked for? No. He went through with that. But it's the Son of God, right? He didn't get what he asked for. He's the Son of God. You know, we look at that verse a lot of times and we pull that out of context and we think, I want to have this, so I'm going to ask in his name and I'm going to get it. And again, that's dangerous. It's a dangerous way of thinking. So this morning, I want to determine what Jesus is actually talking about in John chapter 14. And I think it's important when we look at John chapter 14, verses 13 through 14, we go all the way back to at least John chapter 14 in verse 1 and see who he's talking to, when he's talking to them, what he's talking to them about to better understand what he's talking about when he quotes John 14 or when he says John 14, 13 through 14. Now, when we look at John 14, just previous to this, we've had the Lord's Supper. It's taken place. Judas has left. The plan has been set into motion, and Jesus is about to die. And he has this, essentially, he's talking to these men who he's close to in one of the last conversations he's going to have with them before he goes through with this sacrifice. You see, Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen to him. He knows he's going to suffer. He knows he's going to die, but he also knows what is going to happen with the apostles. He knows the pain that they're going to experience because he is going to die. He knows the hurt that they're going to experience. So he takes this time to kind of reassure them, to kind of uplift them. And we see that in John chapter 14 in verse 1. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. 
and you know the way to where I'm going. You see, Jesus wants to reassure them that they know God, they know who God is, they know how powerful God is. He wants to reassure them of who He truly is. He wants them to know that He is the Son of God. And they don't get it. They don't understand that. He wants them to know that while He's about to leave, while He's about to die, that He's not abandoning them. He's not leaving them out in the cold. Instead, he's going to prepare a place for them, and one day they will be reunited. But you know, I think this last verse, and you know the way where I'm going, he knew that, that they, truly would, they truly knew because he had been preparing them for this all along. For the past three years, he's been preparing them for this day because what's about to happen is going to be tough. And because he's no longer going to be there physically with them, and they have a job to do. So as he goes on, we still see that these men don't, these apostles, these 11 apostles that are left, don't understand what's happening. They don't get it. Because we see Thomas's response. And Thomas asks this, asks this question, and he says, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So Thomas asked this question because, again, he doesn't get it. And he says, how do we know where you're going? How are we going to get there? And Jesus responds saying, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. You want to get to God? It's through me. So he's speaking to his authority as the Son of God at this point by saying that, that the only way to God is through him. He then lets them know that if they have seen him, they have seen God. Again, he's just reiterating this idea that he is God on earth. And he wants them to understand that. He wants them to get that. He wants them to believe that. But guess what? They still don't get it. And we see that from Philip's response. Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak with my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is a very interesting statement. He says, again, he tells them, if you've seen me, you've seen God. He wants them to get that in their head, to understand that. But you know, those apostles were still confused. And if you don't believe that from this, what did Peter do when they came and arrested Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? He got up, he pulled his sword out, and he cut the ear of Malchus off because he believed they were defending a worldly kingdom. It wasn't a worldly kingdom, it was a spiritual kingdom. Jesus told Peter that as he's reattaching the ear. He says, it's not about the world, it's about the spiritual kingdom. They just didn't get it. 
They thought Jesus was ushering in this world, the kingdom, and they were ready to go to battle for him. But once again, Jesus lets them know, I am God on earth. Understand that. It's not about this world. Now, I find some things that are interesting at the end of this. He says, the words that I say to you, I do not speak with my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. He keeps using this word, works. He then goes on and he says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. What is he talking about there? He's talking about the miracles. He's talking about the fact that he is performing these miracles. And what was the reason for him to perform those miracles? To confirm that he is the Son of God, that he is God on earth. And that's what he says. He says, if you don't believe me, believe in the things that I've done. These men have seen him heal the sick, bring the dead to life, turn water into wine. They've seen these things happen. And he wants them to understand that that confirms who he is. That, that's confirming who he is. But I think verse 12 is pivotal in understanding exactly what he talks about in verses 13 and 14. In verse 12, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also, will also do the works that I do. Whoever believes in me. He's not talking about just anybody. He's referring back to this idea that these 11 apostles don't truly have a, the belief that they need to have in him. That's what he's referring back to. He's, he's talking to the apostles here. Those 11 apostles. And he says, you are going to do those works also. So my question is, is if they're going to do these works, what's the reason? Well, why did Jesus perform those works? To confirm that he was the son of God. Why would the apostles perform those works, those miracles? To confirm that he was the son of God to confirm that the word of God that they're sharing is the true word of God. That's what he's talking about here. Then he goes on to say, and greater works than these will he do. And I, I struggled with this one. This one was tough for me. Thinking, how are the apostles gonna do greater things than Jesus? Well, when I think of it from a worldly aspect, I think, well, they're gonna do these greater miracles, these greater things. That's not what he's talking about at all. What he's saying is, because I am going to the Father, because you have my backing, because I'm about to die, to be buried, to be resurrected, and you have my backing, you are going to do the greater work. Again, what, what are those works, what were they for? To confirm the word of God. What is the greater work? To spread the gospel and to help establish that kingdom. That's what it's about. That's what John 1 through 12, 4, 4, or 1, 14, 1 through 12 is talking all about right here. Is this idea that they have a job to do. That even though he is going to be gone, there's still a job that they have to take care of because who else is going to do it? He's not going to be here physically anymore. And their job is to go out and establish that kingdom. So then he goes to verse 13 where we're talking about, that gets pulled out of context. What have we just been talking about? This idea that he is speaking to the apostles, that they will do these miracles to do the greater work. That's what the context is. So Jesus goes on and he says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do. 
that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about us? Is he writing this, these two verses directly to us today? No. That's how we pull it out of context and use it. No, he's writing to those 11 apostles who have a big job to take care of. And that's the spreading of the gospel, the establishment of that kingdom. And through Jesus, that kingdom will be established. He's saying, if you need anything, if you need to be able to do that, and you ask it in, in the, God's will, you're going to get that. I'm going to help you with that. I'm going to help you establish the kingdom, in other words. That's what's going to happen. But we can't stop there. I think the context continues. If you go to verse, the next few verses, verse 15, he begins, he says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Again, Jesus knew the struggle it would be for these men. He knew. He knew what they were going to go through. And he's, saying, he's reassuring them, if, if you love me, if you love me today, if you love me forever, you're going to do what I ask you to do. And a big part of that is going out and spreading that gospel. Going out and bringing people into the kingdom of God. And I think that's so important when we see what he talks about next. In verse 16, he, he begins to tell us how this is going to happen. The process. In verse 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about the Holy Spirit here. That while he's gone, the Holy Spirit will, be, will come and help them. It will reveal the word of God to them. It will allow them to do these miracles. So why? for what reason though? So that they can go out and spread the gospel so that they can go out and grow the kingdom. He goes on in verse 18, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. He says, I'm not leaving you. I'm not gonna be here physically, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. And through you, we will establish that kingdom. We will do that greater work. In verse 21, he says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. What is their purpose? To go out and teach people the word of God so that they can obey it, so they can be a part of that kingdom. That's what John 14 is all about. It has nothing to do with me getting what I want. Nothing at all. But what it does have to do with is the fact that Jesus Christ died for our sins. That Jesus Christ made a way that we today could be forgiven of our sins through that greater work. And that's what it's all about. But you know what I think is so interesting about John 14? We've just walked through that. I, th I think it plays out, a lot of this plays out in Acts chapter 2. When you look at Acts chapter 2, I think we see this play out. You see, in Acts chapter 1, Matthias has just been added, and they're all together. 
in this one place. And that's where Acts chapter 2 starts. He says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Who's he talking about? He's talking about those apostles. What happens? It says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And, div- and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. They're all together, right? What did John 14 said? If you, when you believe, what did they just get do? Jesus had just ascended to heaven. They believed. Their mind was changed. And now what's happening? The Holy Spirit comes on him. And what happens? They're able to, to speak these tongues that they've never been able to speak before. These miracles are starting to happen. The Holy Spirit is doing exactly what Jesus said would happen. And what we see is Peter goes out. And the day of Pentecost, there are thousands of Jews there. And they all from these different places in the world. And they all speak these different languages. Peter gets up and he starts speaking. And guess what? They all understand him. And what does he tell them? He tells them about Jesus Christ. He preaches them the gospel. And what we see in verse 37 is the result of that. We see the greater work. He says, now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, the, so those who received the word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. Plays out, doesn't it? Just like Jesus talked about. It's exactly what happened here. And it was all about the greater work. It was all about that kingdom being established. It was all about that kingdom growing. It's amazing to me. And yet... We look at John 14 and 13, and we forget about the context. We forget about the importance of what Jesus is talking about, and we make it about ourselves. And it becomes about me, and it becomes about what I want, and what Jesus can do for me, instead of what can I do for Christ? What can I do for the kingdom? So when I look at this, and if we look at just these two verses, because that's what we're talking about this morning. These verses are pulled out of context. It's not written to us. It doesn't mean what many people think it means. But does that mean there's not something that we can gain from this? Absolutely not. I think there's a lot that we can gain from this. And when I look at this, I think about our requests to God. It's important how we request things from God. It's important how we go to Him in prayer. 
And I think there's two qualifiers when we look at this verse that we can learn about our requests. And the first qualifier would be that we ask in Christ's name. I think that's the first qualifier. Now, have you ever considered at the end of a prayer when we say, in Jesus' name I pray, why do we do that? Why? What's the point? Why, why do we say that? You know, when I was very young, 11, 12, I hadn't been baptized that long. I hadn't, hadn't been a member of the church for that long. I got asked to say a prayer in Plainview. And you guys know me in this position here, especially when I'm giving announcements, I say some really dumb stuff a lot. But this was my first public prayer. So I pray, and I'm thinking, man, I did a great job. I did good. And Brother Carol Hayes, many of you probably know him from Plainview. He's passed on, but he pulled me aside and said, you need to fix something. It's like, what? He said, you didn't pray in Christ's name. He said, you didn't say in the name of Christ. And he kind of explained that to me. But I didn't get it. I didn't understand. I thought it was just something that somebody always said that, And I got nervous and I forgot to say it. But why is it so important to say these words? And that's exactly what Jesus is talking here. It's not about the words themselves. It's not the fact that all of a sudden I say those words in Christ's name and I get whatever I want. It's not what it's about. The fact is, is when we speak to God in prayer, we speak by the authority of God of Christ, because we've been added to the kingdom, because he died, he was buried, he was resurrected. We have, we speak by that authority. He has become an intercessor between us and God. When we obey the gospel, he lives within us. And by his authority, we can speak to God in faith. Why? Because we are no longer separated from God. His sacrifice made it possible that God will hear our prayers. And because of that, we trust that he will hear our prayers. But that's not the only qualifier I think we see here. I think the other one is that the Father may be glorified. When we become a Christian, we talk a lot about this, how our old man dies. Paul talks a lot about this. Our old man dies and, and we are a new creature. We, we live differently. It's because before we became a Christian, who did we serve? We served ourselves. It was all about our will. But when we become a Christian, it's no longer about us. It's no longer about what I want or what I desire or what I think. It's all about God. It's all about what can I do for Jesus Christ? What can I do to further the kingdom? That's what it's about because we no longer live for ourselves. So how do we glorify God? Well, you look back to John chapter 14, and Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will do what I've asked you to do. It's all about where is our will? Not only in our prayer, but in our life in general. Are we serving our own will? Are we serving God's will? The fact is, is when we look at doing this, glorifying the Father in our prayer, it's all about us aligning our will with God's will. No longer is it about me. No longer is it about what I want or desire. It's about what God has asked me to do. 
It's about obeying what he has asked me to do and following his commands. What's best for the kingdom? Does that mean we can't approach God with things that we care deeply about? When we're sick, does that mean we can't approach him? No, absolutely not. He wants us to approach him. He wants to know our fears. He wants to hear what's going on in our mind. It's perfectly fine to approach God with those things. But what we have to understand is that when we do pray, and we pray in his name, and we make those requests, that it doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. And that's hard to stomach sometimes. But what it does mean is that it's his will that matters and not my own. That's what that means. So as we look at that in the context, and we better understand the context, I think there's three questions when we have a request to God that we can ask ourselves before we make that request. And the first one is, is will this glorify God? Because that's the purpose, right? The purpose of our lives is to, to give God the glory, to glorify God. So the first question we need to ask is, what, am I, what I'm asking, is it going to glorify God? What's our intention, in other words? To glorify God or to glorify ourselves? Because we live in a nation that says, put yourself first, make sure you take care of yourself. When Jesus says, no, it's not about you. It's about, it's about God. It's about the kingdom. The second question is, what is my motivation in asking this? Where does that motivation come from? Are our intentions meant to glorify God? Or again, to glorify ourselves? Now I think of James chapter 4 and verse 3, where James is talking, and he says, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. What was the problem with how they were asking? He says, to spend it on your passions. And too many times we approach life, we approach our service to God, we approach every how we pray based on what I want, not what's best for the kingdom. And we've got to be careful about that. Thirdly, am I asking in humility? The fact is, is when we align our will with his, we're going to ask for things that are according to his will. We're going to search those things out. But the question is, am I humble enough to put away my pride and put God first? And I think, you know, I've, I've talked to a couple guys about this, but no matter what I've studied, no matter what the topic was, in the last several months, I come to one conclusion. One conclusion every time. That it's not about me. It's about God. It's about serving Him. And we look at John 14, and we make John 14, 13 through 14, all about me. But you look at the overall context, it's not just about prayer. You look at John 1, 14, 1 through 21, it's not just about how we pray. That's a part of it, but it's about how we live our lives and who we put first in that life and what is the will that we're following, our own or God's will. That's what it's about. And that's a far more valuable outcome 
than pulling that verse out of context. Because what he was telling those apostles to do was to go establish that kingdom, preach the gospel. And anybody here this morning who has obeyed the gospel has benefited from that. The greater work. And how amazing is that? What an amazing message that is. Yeah, he wasn't talking to me, but it applies to me because I benefit from it. You know, I think about Jesus. You know, we kind of opened with Jesus and we open, and I'm gonna read this again. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, So, you could not watch for me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into, into temptation. Spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then guess what? He prayed that again. Jesus, I mentioned this a couple weeks ago. Jesus did not want to go through with what he was about to go through. He understood the pain. He understood the embarrassment. He understood the death that was about to happen. And just as I said, make no mistake, he felt every time that whip scraped down his back. He felt every time somebody hurled an insult at him or spat on him. He felt every nail go through his skin into that cross. He felt every labored breath as he's hanging on that cross. He felt it all. And he could have easily said, I'm not doing it. These people are putting me on this cross. I don't deserve this because he was perfect. He could have easily said that. As we sang earlier, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have made that decision. He could have gone with what felt good to him as an earthly person, as a human. But what did he say? Your will be done. He put the greater work above his own pain and suffering. And that should change how we view our service to him. That should change how we make decisions. That should force us to say, I'm gonna do what you asked me to do. I'm gonna put your will first. I'm gonna put that greater work ahead of my own will because he loved us. And if you're here this morning and you've never taken advantage of the grace that comes through Jesus Christ by obeying him and being obedient to the gospel, please do that this morning. Don't put it off. Or if you're here this morning and you are struggling with something in your life, that's another benefit that comes from what he did for us. We can pray for you and we can pray with you if you come to the front as we sing the song that's been selected.